ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and foes, welcome back to another episode, another iteration of the Record Spinner Podcast. I'm your host, Noel, and today, as always, as commonplace here in my little corner of the world, we're going to be talking about music, black vinyl music. Um, So let's kick it off right off the rip. I hope everyone um, enjoyed their holiday season, uh, regardless of what holiday you celebrate. Um, I hope that it was filled with fun, family, food, friends, and love. A lot of F's in that one L. Um, uh, I hope that you enjoyed it and uh, got to spend some quality time with the ones you care most about. Um, I enjoyed my holiday season. I got to spend Christmas Day uh, with my family in Southwest Virginia. Uh, We enjoyed a white Christmas the first white Christmas I can actually remember in quite some time. So that was fun. I uh, got to spend it with my little nephew and my girlfriend and my family. And we sat around and ate and drank and watched movies. And it was really fun. Um, with everything that's going on in 2020 with the pandemic and the virus and uh, the, the just sheer chaos of the year, um, I hope that you had time to to spend it with your family and in some capacity. I know that a lot of people, I've been taking this thing very, very serious. So I haven't spent a lot of time with family and friends. Uh, but this holiday is, is a very important holiday to my family. And now that we have a, a, a next generation in my little corner of the world, um, it's something that I just had to kind of uh, make a concession with, I guess. In the vinyl news, it's very interesting uh, that uh, an interesting article that I read that came out of the UK um, that is uh, according to NME magazine. Uh, this is a magazine based out of the UK. Uh, it's a New Musical Express. Um, you probably heard of it if you're into underground or any type of music outside of the country in at any capacity. Um, even they, they even cover some lower. Uh, lower American artists, lower status American artists. Um, So according to them, though, uh, the vinyl sales in 2020 are the highest that they've ever been uh, since the 90s. Um, One of the reasons why this is so huge or huge news is that, in my opinion, that the 90s was the last decade that saw physical music dominate um, in such a way that it did. Uh, I mean, vinyl was overshadowed by the CD, of course, but vinyl was still a big thing in the 90s. It was huge um, among all music fans uh, of any type. So it, it's really it's really interesting that that 2020 of all years saw that uh, the highest mark since since back when uh, CD players were the only thing um, relatable to what we have now, which is you know a, a computer CD player and uh, uh, all of that in your pocket at all time with the phone uh, that carries, like I said, everything, the digital the digital age. Um, it, it's just interesting to me, fascinating to me that since the 90s, uh, this is, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a long time coming, essentially. Uh, I've, I broke down in uh, a few episodes ago, I broke down um, how 
or, or my timeline personally of, of my of my vinyl resurgence, right? 2011, 2010 is when I first started uh, collecting when I lived in Atlanta. Um, before that, I had worked around a lot of vinyl in, in college with the radio station that I worked in. Um, and, and then even before then, of course, with my father being a DJ, uh, which is a little known fact. I, I'm I don't think I've mentioned it on the show, uh, but yes, my father is a, a is a turntable DJ, and so I grew up around the stuff. But you know, it's it's one of those things where I I definitely didn't see the value in it until I started collecting my own in 2011. So I just thought that was really fascinating news, and so I decided to share it here. And um, I, I want to know, 2020 is this the the first year you started collecting? Is this the is this your second year, third year? Um, is this something, have you personally started collecting more vinyl or buying more vinyl? If you have people around you started doing so, I want to know, I want to hear from you. So, so don't be a stranger. Let me know what's going on in your corner of the world. Um, and to my UK, UK folks, I want to know why weren't you guys buying any soul and jazz and hip hop records? Cause the, the list of the, of the, top five i think top five or six uh or maybe top 10 it comes from a lot of the indie and alt rock genre artist and so i want to know is that all you guys are listening to over there like like what is that about um yeah so moving right along into other news um this past christmas i told you guys i spent it with my family um and we watched a really interesting film called Soul. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's uh, by Pixar and it's starring Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey. Um, I thought this movie was a really beautiful family movie uh, with a powerful little message actually about life. Um, it also has some amazing imagery around music and vinyl and jazz. Um, I definitely recommend this cute movie. Uh, also uh, like co-starring uh, Quest Love and some other like hip names from today. Um, if you haven't seen it already, go check it out. Uh, if you have, let me know what you thought about it. Let me know if there were any scenes or, or, or animations that stuck out to you most. Um, to me, it was the p- piano solo when he was auditioning um, for uh, the, I can't remember her name, but uh, she was uh, doing a feature in, in a jazz club in New York. And he went to go audition for it and he took the, she stole a show with this jazz solo, a piano solo that he did, and it was phenomenal. I, I really enjoyed that. I, I actually thought it was beautiful music throughout the whole entire film. Um, really nicely done, Pixar. So, claps for you. Moving right along to my vinyl recommendations. This is a very important piece of the show, if you don't know. Um, every week I try to recommend a vinyl record that i think fans of vinyl or fans of black music should go and check out uh this week i think uh one of my favorite one of my new favorite records came in and uh it is sons and daughters of light and the record is let the sun shine in now this record is uh it's from the early seven or early 70s uh, released under the indie label that they created as as a, as a band um, called Sunlight Record Publishing Company. Um, it was later reissued by Love and Hate under um, in, under the Ubiquity Record label, um, and this happened back in the nineties. It, re- it was really reissued back in the nineties, uh, nineteen ninety nine to be exact, I believe. 
after uh, one of my favorite white people in the world, uh, Giles Peterson, uh, spun it a bunch on his rec- on his radio stations and, and his uh, his platforms that he uses to kind of get music out into the public that otherwise would fall flat, um, otherwise would go unheard, otherwise would be just dead music. And, and that's sad, right? I hate to think of it like that. But one of my favorite things about Giles and M- Madlib and a few others like them, um, they keep these records, they keep these relics alive and well and going. Uh, one of my favorite things about those cats, and uh, I think nobody does it better than Madlib, of course, I've talked about that, Agnosium. But I think if there were a second close or a close second, I said second close, if there was a close second, I believe that would be Giles Peterson. And so he spun this a lot back in the 90s. It kind of came back up throughout, uh, you know, how things kind of get repopular or repopularized. And this record definitely was one of those things that kind of saw a, 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 a a little bit of uh, popularity, not a crazy amount, but a little bit uh, more so than it did in the, in the 70s, of course. Um, but so with all of that, it, it got a reissue. It got a it got a chance to live again in the vinyl world, which I'm so happy it did. Uh, it was reissued by, again, Love and Hate. Um, you should check the, this whole project out. I have yet to check the whole project out. I have it now, um, courtesy of... Uh, records ltd out of nork new jersey uh it would be nork new jersey to give me this black classic record um just it's just such a fitting place for black music nork new jersey um that it doesn't surprise me that they would have one of these relics sitting around at a very reasonable price uh for me to cop and talk about here on the on the um on the podcast um what else to say about this record? It's amazing. I haven't gotten past uh, the first side. Usually I try to check out a whole body of work before I even talk about it. But the first side is just so breathtakingly beautiful to me anyway that um, I haven't even turned the record over at this point. <laughs> and that's sad, but it's also a testament of how amazing uh, the title track is and a few other of the tracks on the first side. So definitely recommend you pick that up. Uh, I think you will be pleasantly surprised and definitely you will thank me for this one so check it out with that um we're going to i'm going to i'm going to introduce the topic this week again um i said it at the top of the show a little bit but the spirit of evolution within jazz it creates elements that will later go into produce not only hip-hop but a few other genres as we now of course know um, but you have cats like Herbie Hancock who are pushing the limits constantly in the electric in the electronic space, right? Uh, you also have cats like the Last Poets and Gil Scott, who I've mentioned before on this episode, who are pushing the limits of spoken word and jazz poetry into a new kind of uh, more modern contemporary form that will go on to be called hip hop. So. Uh, you have all of this movement going on in the late 60s, early 70s, into the late late 70s and early 80s that kind of create this thing that we know now, of course, as hip-hop. We'll be right back after a word from our only sponsor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. 
Let me explain. It's free. The biggest part, right? It's completely free. There are also creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so that it can be heard on all the major platforms, Spotify, Apple, and so many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's the best of all worlds. So I encourage you, if you're in the podcast market and looking for a place to start, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right. Thank you again for clicking play and staying through that uh, that advertisement. Um, again, I just want to just briefly go over um, and, and kind of in depth pick apart um, some of the major players in jazz that go on to transition into the hip hop space um, to, to usher in this new genre back in the uh, early 80s and mid 80s, of course. So uh, I'm going to hop right into it. I kind of already briefly touched on Herbie Hancock. Um, what's funny about Herbie is that I think a lot of it is unintentional. Herbie, I don't think of as a mentor. And this isn't a shot at Herbie at all. I love Herbie Hancock. And he follows me on uh, IG. So that's awesome, too. Um, but one of the things about Herbie is that he's not particular. He's not a mentor. He's not like a, a bona fide uh, mentor of any any one group of people in the hip hop genre, but he is an influence uh, and it's almost unintentional. Uh, I'm thinking about records like Headhunter, right? This is a record that, I mean, it's, it's just like eons before it's time when you think about it. It's super funky, super jazzy, super hip, uh, and it comes out in the late 60s or early 70s. Um, Herbie was known uh, for playing with the latest tech, not only just musical instruments either, uh, Miles Davis noted this in his autobiography. Uh, Miles recalls that Herbie always had the latest gadgets, always had a camera or some type of gadget playing around with it, figuring it, figuring it out, um, and, and just toying with stuff all the time. And, and that makes sense, that curiosity that Herbie had. It definitely showed in his music. He didn't stay in any one place for too long when it comes to his musical prowess as well. Um, and that's one thing I feel like people sort of forget about with Herbie. And and, and, and I hate to say it, but it's, I, I, I think in the jazz community, we, we, we love Herbie. We love Herbie in the black jazz community. But I think in public, outside of that community, in a broader community, he's sort of a forgotten person when it comes to moving music to where it is currently. Uh, and I don't think that's fair in a lot of ways. Um, his mood, his music again was just always experimental, always pushing the limits, always pushing pushing the envelope uh, to the next level, and I think uh, hip hop cats acknowledge that even to a to a large degree. Um, like I said, if you haven't heard that song Rocket, you have, but you haven't heard this song. So go check it out, and you'll be like, oh yeah, I've heard this on Ferris Bueller's Day Off or some shit like that. But you heard it, but you just probably didn't notice that you heard it. So you're guaranteed the feel like it's not Herbie though. <laughs> I was gonna say you were guaranteed to like it, but it is kind of weird. Even to even by today's standards, it's a it's a kind of quirky quirky song. So um another cat that I like to talk about when it comes to like merging hip hop and and jazz is Donald Bird. Donald Bird gets so little credit when it comes to 
uh, merging the the genres and, and holding the hands of of hip hop youngins and and influencing a new generation of music artists uh, to go on and create amazing music. Um, Donald was one of the leading horns for like I would say almost damn near four decades of of music. Uh, he was one of the the main guys. Funny story. Herbie Hancock telling the story of how he becomes a member of Miles Davis's band is one of the funniest, coolest stories you'll probably ever hear. Um, just Google uh, Herbie Hancock talks about Miles Davis um, or talks about playing with Miles Davis or something like that. You'll pull it up. Um, it's absolutely his impression of or his impersonation of Miles Davis is so spot on and so funny. Um, I'm telling you, it's a really, really uh, interesting and funny interview. Uh, I, I've watched it like 30 or 40 times. Um, and, and that's like way too much to watch an interview that happened like 40 years ago. So <laughs> so it's crazy. But um, Donald Byrd is, is, is a leading horn of the day. Um, and after he starts to kind of like fade, after the music starts to kind of move away, I mean, he, he is also in the same breath of, of a Herbie Hancock always kind of moving with the time of the music um he kind of stops around the funk though he becomes kind of a funk soul jazz leader a lot of his music is geared around the funk and soul part i, I think he's one of the most soulful trumpet players um maybe maybe a cat like freddie hubbard comes to mind to like kind of like one up this guy Woody Shaw is a technician. He's kind of a second generation of Miles Davis. He does have a he does have some type of of soul. I mean, don't we all, right? We're all black. We all have soul. But I don't think any soul can top uh, any soulful trumpet can top that of Donald Byrd, in my humble opinion, of course. Um, so, and that was known, right? And so, after he stops playing and leading a lot of groups, he 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 plays music well into the '80s. Though he does he, he does his own thing well into the '80s, but he slows down a little bit, starts teaching at Howard University here in D.C. And one of the biggest influences on hip hop artists comes from one of the groups that was seriously and and. and greatly influenced by Donald Byrd and his teaching at Howard University. And that's DC's own The Blackbirds. The Blackbirds are a, a musical group, a funk, soul, jazz group um, that is birthed over in Howard University, um, not too far from where I am currently. Um, and they are amazing. I have a few of their records, um, uh, thinking about City Life and um, Rock Creek Park, those songs are classics, absolute classics, and uh, they, they've done a few solid bodies of work, um, and so I, I definitely enc encourage you to go check out Blackbirds. It was a group that was very much inspired by Donald Byrd, and again, they went on to inspire the generation of hip-hoppers in the early 80s and even into the, the mid-90s. Um, cats like Guru uh, was greatly inspired by Blackbirds, by the Blackbirds. Um, what else about, oh yeah, with Donald Bird, I think sometimes we forget that that mentorship is key, right? And so Donald Bird, along with like cats like Rory Ayers and Weldon Irvine, um, they not only influence 
a generation based off of their own heyday. They influence a generation and inspire a generation by the work they put in with that generation. So, for example, Donald Byrd lounging. I know you've heard that song. You may have not heard that song. Go check it out. It's on Guru's Jazzmatics, um, Volume One. And this is a 1992 album released by Guru from Gangstar. And if you don't know who Gangstar is, go check them out. If you don't know, if you don't know who Guru is, go check him out. I promise you, you will not be disappointed um, by this guy's lyrical ability. But they collab on this song, and he, pretty much they collab on this album. This album features Roy Ayers and Donald Byrd. Um, I don't know if no Weldon's not featured in this album, unfortunately. But this album is, a, is an absolute classic in hip hop corners, and it's a classic because it merges two of the the biggest forms of black art, hip hop and jazz, and it merges these two as if it was a continuation uh, of a of an art form, continuation of a stream of thought, if you will, and and I think it was done beautifully. So go check that out. Roy Ayers needs no introduction. If I need to explain Roy Ayers to anybody, I couldn't do that. I mean, he's such a big person, Roy Ayers. Uh, still around, by the way. Fun fact. Um, and it's, it's him and Herbie are, are, are relics, Donald Byrd's relics of the black community, relics of black music. And I mean, yeah, Roy Ayers is one of the most renowned jazz soul musicians in the world. Um, and he's not only responsible for pushing the limits of jazz and soul, but he's also worked with a lot of classic hip hop and neo soul projects. Um, projects that you probably probably heard of and you know that he was on those projects albums like mama's gun by erica badu he had a few songs that he produced on that track on on that uh, album um an interesting album that i forgot all about that he actually uh did some uh, did some production on it was the alicia keys 2016 here uh and that's I, that totally blew my mind um because I just totally forgot about it. I totally forgot about it. Um, yeah, I can't even begin to list the amount of hip-hop artists, though. Like, when I pulled up this guy and researching this topic here today, when I pulled up the discography and who Roy Ayers has worked with in the hip-hop community alone, I'm talking about Pete Rock, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Common, Most Def, A Tribe Called Quest, I mean, this is just, these are just the, like the really big ones, right? But like weird names too, two names that I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't honestly see it. So I had to go listen to these tracks. Uh, one is Whitney Houston and the other is Rick James. And I'm not going to give away the tracks. I want you to go and try to find the tracks that um, he he helped produce uh, with Rick James and Whitney Houston. Um, you, you will thank me for those too, honestly. Um... But yeah, so I, I, Roy Ayers is needs no. I think honestly, if anyone on this list does get their just due or their the the right amount of credit, I think it is Roy Ayers. And and I'm not saying that to be like oh like so we shouldn't talk about him, but he is clearly known throughout the world for his contributions to black art, and I appreciate that. If you don't know about it, go check it out. Go check out all this stuff. His own stuff, his solo stuff, his stuff with, you know, the ubiquity and all that stuff. Go check out Roy Ayers, man. It, you're missing out. Seriously. Don't listen to my podcast until you do. So, 
<laughs> um, a lesser known though is uh, Weldon Irvine, who I'm writing a show around currently. I'm still working out that show. This, sh this show actually came from writing the show about uh, Weldon Irvine because he's a lesser known who does a lot, who has a huge impact on hip hop music um, and, and hip hop musicians from the space of a jazz musician. And again, this is kind of in the same vein as uh, a Donald Byrd and the Roy Ayers, where it's just, it's not just the influence um, of, that he passed on through his music. It's also, it's also the mentorship that he gave to cats like Most Def and Talib Kweli and Q-Tip. Um, he helps these guys create music. And I think that's the coolest part about the merging of these two generations of music is that one generation of the elders has to pass on all the secrets, has to pass on all of the knowledge to the younger generation. That's how it used to be when we were in the motherland. That's how it has to be. It's just how it works. So fun fact about Weldon, though, is that if it wasn't for Mad Lib's tribute to Brother Weldon, I wouldn't have heard of Weldon Irvine. So that was a project that actually introduced me to Weldon that sent me down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out who this guy was and why he was so important to music, not just hip hop or jazz, but music in general. So I think the the biggest thing, that, the biggest takeaway from all of this, I think I, that I want to, to part with, with anyone who's listening is that the spirit and the pillars of jazz go on to become some of the pillars of hip-hop. Um, pillars like improvisation and creating on your toes is something that is uniquely black art-based. It's something that's so special, so special to us. It's so unique to the things that we create, the music that we create, the things that we touch, the things that we make. It's so uniquely ours. Um, the two generations were oftentimes pitted against one another, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but one of one being tagged as an uppity or a really sophisticated, highbrow form of art, while the other was barely viewed as art, oftentimes being um, tagged as just kind of uh, a playful, um, childlike, um, lacking creativity and originality. Um, it was tagged with all of the bad things that we tag with current music sometimes. And and I am I am a I'm a I'm an offender of this. I, I do this a lot of times with with the youth and their music. Um, I sometimes belittle it or diminish the value that uh, of artists today creating music i can raise my hand and definitely attest to that um i do so from a space of of of, of a critical of a critic and a critical analysis of of the music that we put out today and a contextual knowledge of what we've always kind of valued as art so i'll explain that on the on the front end you have what it looks like or what the music the kids are listening to, it looks like that's all that they listen to. That's the stuff you hear on Top 40. But of course, like you, if you dig a top, if you dig a tad deeper, you'll hear some of the originality. You'll hear some of the creativity that these kids are putting out into records that oftentimes goes overlooked because we're too busy worried about what what's being played on the radio. So I think that's something that I think critics like myself and others uh, should uh, just take a step back with and oftentimes... Um, just need to look into a little bit more. Um, I remember this happened with um, 
This happened with 21 Savage, and this also happened with Kodak, I think. Kodak Black, where I was like, yo, these guys suck. And then, like, but, but and that was only because of what I heard on the radio, bro. But I remember looking at, like, looking, looking at their entire album. I, 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 it first started with Kodak. I can't remember which album it was, um, but it was like it had some lyrical, uh, some real, some real lyrical prowess in it. And I was just taken, taken aback by it. And I was like, oh, I got this guy wrong. Like, dang, like you can't judge a book by its cover when it comes, even when it comes to music, you cannot judge a record off of what they put out for the masses, I think. So that's what I'm, that was my segue there. But just to get back to the connection between jazz and, and hip hop, just at, before I close out here. Um, yeah, I, so I mentioned that like, oftentimes the two genres were pitted against each other. This happened early in the early heyday of hip hop music, um, where hip hop was severely misunderstood as an art form. Um, a lot of the jazz guys, even some of the big names in jazz, um, went on the record and said that they did not like the music. They didn't consider it music. They, you know, they didn't like it at all. Um, they didn't respect the, the art form at all. Um, but in the same, at the same time, there were brave men, brave men who took the chance on the, these cats on this music. And they didn't, they didn't buckle under the pressure of, uh, of saying that this is just a continuation of what we started. When jazz started, it was it was so misunderstood. It was so undervalued and underappreciated by everyone who partook. Um, I remember there, uh, well, I don't remember, but I, I remember reading a book about how um, when jazz music first hit the scene um, in the black community, especially, it was seen as devil music. It was seen as like music that was not supposed to be uh supposed to be listened to um you didn't you didn't listen to jazz music you didn't but now you look at it and it's like it's sophisticated it's highbrow it's it's boule it's bougie all that all that bullshit um and and i want to break that down i, I don't I, I don't like that jazz is labeled as such so like i said um these brave men what they did was they stood up for the younger generation they passed the knowledge and wisdom down to the younger generation and helped them create an art form that was uniquely them while at the same time understanding that this was a continuation of the very art form that they helped usher in which was jazz so you know it's, it, black art is just a continuation it morphs into the next form and it's always stays true to itself it always stays true to what it is that's all black art is. That's the very definition of black art. It's just a continuation of thought, of ideas, and creativity uh, that flows into whatever current stream is is the main thing right now, or the cool thing, or the end thing, and makes it its own thing. That's always been what it is. So, with that, I think that I'm gonna end right here but i do want to just kind of give an honorable mention when i say when i look at guys like weldon irvine and roy Ayers, what i see in this i see in this generation cats that are doing the very same thing cats like terrence martin and christian scott and uh, robert glasper he's like he would be like the roy Ayers if you think about it like robert glasper's on every fucking thing and you you don't you don't I I didn't even know who, how the guy looked for the longest time, but he is literally producing 
a lot of music not only jazz but hip-hop r&b neo soul soul etc etc so i want to know if there's anything that i left out which i know i'm sure i left out some some artists who helped pave the way um through the 70s into uh from jazz into hip-hop who are your favorite artists that helped pave the way um they could be cats that i mentioned or cats that i didn't mention it doesn't matter um i do want to hear from i do want to hear from you i do want to uh, know who are your favorite jazz and hip-hop collabs of today and yesterday so you can talk about cats like you know like you could talk about the lounging song if that was one of your favorite collabs uh i know that there's some uh, cool stuff out there from tom brown <laughs> Tom Brown in the 80s. I know that's some really cool stuff from Buckshot LaFunk. Um, that's Bradford Marcellus and DJ Premier and all that stuff. Um, there's some really cool collabs out there. And so if I didn't mention uh, any of the collabs that I should have mentioned, let me know. Comment, um, email me at the record spinner podcast at gmail.com. You can follow me and uh, DM me and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the rebirth of the cool that's rebirth of the cool um and again you should check out the forum join the forum that i'm working on on my website that's the record spinner the record spinner.com and you can look under the forum tab create your account all you need is a facebook account or a google account to get started and um let's start let's start digging around for some music let's show me some stuff that i may be leaving out here when i'm talking about you know uh contextual pieces of music and and i'll and, and or ask me some questions about where to find some good records i don't know um but do join me do do engage i want to hear from you so that's it that's my time I hope that you enjoyed this episode of the Record Spinner Podcast. Until next time, peace.